Welcome to the On Course Podcast, presented by New England Golf Journal. I am Sean Melia, joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host, Jim McCabe. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. We how about are, yourself? I'm good. I'm good. We are the... The tail end of the of the golfing season, except for the diehards who are willing to throw in some hand warmers and foot warmers, and will you do that? You would sure. you have a, do you have a temperature like a? No, I don't go by temperature. I mean, <laughs> forty five with wind is. Uh, You'll play. Yeah, as long nine as holes. Wind, I'll go out. I'll take four four or five clubs, and okay. I look. At, I told my wife once. It, you told me to go out for a walk. I'm going out for a walk. <laughs> There's going to be a couple balls in my pocket and three or four clubs and green might might not even hit into greens. And, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. Mean, why All right, not? why not? I love it. I love it. Well, one thing that thinking about far in the future, golf wise, there was an announcement made in early October, so earlier this month. USGA is coming back to the country club mm. four times. In the next, let's twenty two years, because the USJ has a penchant right. for locking up venues. But given the fact that, and and I'll go through the four events that will be here, it's big news because the U.S. Open that came here in twenty twenty two was the first one in first U.S. Open in a long time since eighty nine, eighty eight, eighty nine, and then we had the USAM here in twenty thirteen. So in those thirty plus years. We had a USAM and and a US Open, and so now, right? Yeah, yeah, and because the, uh, the Ryder Cup isn't a USJ event, uh, right? It's a big event. It's it's, it's a circus. It's a circus. <laughs> it's not golf. <laughs> yeah. If you want to hear Jim's uh, <laughs> thoughts about the Ryder Cup, you could listen to our previous episode with Tara Joy Connolly, where we we rehashed the Italian Ryder Cup and just the controversies and, and the playbook. But controversies, the controversies. But in this in this case in this episode, so we're looking at the 2030 girls junior, the 30 2034 US AM, the 2038 US Open and the 2045 US Women's Open, which is wild to think like the winner of that might have just been born. It might be in kindergarten. Right. Just 22 years from now. But when, I, when I heard it, yeah, first thing it did was kind of validated what we all thought, that the 2022 U.S. Open at Country Club was a smash. Mm-hmm. The small golf course, relatively speaking, for the professionals, tough little confined area to get a lot of people around. A lot of skeptics, and they hit a home run. Uh, the folks at the country club, and USGA, but the folks at the country club deserve kudos for what they did. Turned it out. They had a wonderful winner. They had a pure, I think Matt Fitzpatrick, as we all would say, is a pure U.S. Open, proper ball striker, yep. fairways and greens. And the fact that he won the amateur there nine years earlier yeah. was really, really cool. <laughs> But to me, this said to them, you you have a special golf course. We're coming back. And I think the U.S., the country club, to their credit, said, yes, we do. But there are other events that we want to shine the spotlight on. The, the girls' junior is probably a really good one to yeah. pick out. It's getting better and better and better. <clears throat> on the back end, you have the women's open. I, I just thought... They were four tournaments. The amateur is kind of locked in. It's tan in tandem. You you're gonna 
play the we're going to play the amateur at your venue yep your club yep and then five six seven years later we'll come back for open so they but they book into with two really good ones for the women good for them they have a strong they have a strong sense of ownership of where they are yeah in the golf world and the u.s um ga so all, all, all credit to the uh, to folks at the country club. Yeah. Also, I, I'm sure, given the success of 22, the USGA chomping at the bit to take advantage of like maybe some membership goodwill and like, oh, we yeah. we made it through. <laughs> We've got our course back. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the what the, how the money shook out as far as what the club got and and all that stuff. But I just think. It was a good move by the USGA to to strike while the iron is hot. I think if this conversation happens four years down the road and we're looking at the girls' junior in 2035, maybe the conversation's a little bit harder to have. I am so excited for the girls' junior. Oh, I, It's going to be – I mean, g- girls' golf in seven years' time is going to look very yes. different than it does now, and there's it's just going to be fascinating. They also don't have to – they can just use the main course. There's no There's no – bringing in primrose holes to create a championship routing so the the footprint and the impact of a girl's they can, junior they can, they can they can do what they want over there right and they can they don't have to worry about building a, an air a, a, small a town town for the trucks and yeah the, and all that is changing too because we don't even know i mean my goodness and the technology is changing dramatically with TV and how they broadcast things and the room they need. That's wonderful to the folks at the country club that they don't have to give up half their property yep. to build. They can just hold a proper golf tournament. Yep. And if there's one place, there are several places in the country, but country club is championship national ready Every day of the year, yeah, uh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, they do. They didn't have to like toughen it up. They did. They, they keep it, it pretty they dialed. Keep, they keep yeah. it dialed in. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be. I, it's so far in the future, and it feels ridiculous yeah, talking about 45 and like what women's golf will look like in 2045. It's awesome, but it's so exciting that they've got these four dates locked in, bringing golf to Boston, which is also just another piece of this. Right? There's no professional golf that 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 comes here every year Not so Boston, no. to have four usga it's events on top of Braeburn, by the way which yes is thank you that's right another club that fields a beholden to the usga yep and they have a great history there they're going to host a couple of women's tournaments right they have the mid-am next year mid-am in 24 yeah. and then the women's am in 28 i think is the yeah. other one yeah I, I i have to i have the dates all kind of circled yeah in my mind they're not quite yep. circled but and then looking outside of massachusetts newport country club is hosting the senior, senior open, open in 24 as well so yeah. we are have two usj events in new england next year tack on these these four and the extra one at braeburn like that's a really nice suite yeah. of championships that it this is. area is getting and um, it's nice that the country club will be still hosting uh, and planning on hosting events because I think sometimes the country club has that air of like when are, when are they going to come back and now we got four dates yeah. that without they're locked I, in so that's great. Matt, I think Matt Fitzpatrick will be forty four <laughs> years old. I think is that right? How is old? he? No, he's got to be older because this is we're 50, we're talking how many? Oh, years the open right? is in fifteen years time, so he'll be. 
Yeah, you're right. He'll be 43. 43. I think he's 28 now. Yeah. Yeah. So. And Rory will still be chasing chasing majors then too. Yeah. Rory will be chasing the. uh, He'll be 48. Where he'll be 40, yeah, he'll 48, be 49, getting ready for the senior tour. That'd be good. <laughs> PGA Tour champions. I don't know if I'll be here, but they, they will be. <laughs> um, let's let's bring in Bruce Chalice, who's the BU women's golf coach, an incredibly decorated golfer in his own right as well. He's kind of started coaching later in life, and he tells some great stories. Yes, he does. So let's, let's get him on to hear about his life as a BU golf coach, women's golf coach, and, and playing in some majors. All right, I want to welcome in Bruce Chalice, BU women's golf coach, and and so much more. Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time with uh, with you and Jim. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. You are, before we hopped on to press record, you said you were down at Pinehurst, kind of a, a place you spend time, and then you hop up to Boston when when needed. I'd love to kind of just jump in and talk a little bit about your fall with with this BU women's team. It's been a pretty good fall. You've got a win under your belt. Just notched a, a runner-up at Yale as well. What's gone well for for the team this fall? It's been a rainy one, maybe a challenging one in that respect, but they've played, played pretty good golf. Must be good coaching, right? Yeah, yeah of yeah, course. Holy kidding, holy kidding. We've had a great fall this year. One of the best falls we've had in a long time. As you mentioned, uh, we started the season off uh, with a win, fast win at Bucknell and played well in Princeton, played well at Boston College. And then uh, we really played well down at Yale. Unfortunately, that 54-hole tournament was shortened to uh, 18 holes, but we have a good a good uh, second-place finish there. One of our co-captains, Christy Chen, has been on fire this fall. She's She won three out of four, either one or tied for first medalist position in three out of the four tournaments. And so I mentioned to her the other day, we were having individual meetings. I said, Christy, you know, you've played four tournaments this year, and you, you've only been beaten by two players in four tournaments. That's a pretty, pretty interesting uh, interesting stat. She's all fired up this year. She worked hard this summertime in China. Uh, she played a few events in the uh, China LPGA Tour, and that really helped get her. She played well, too. Helped get ready for, for the fall season at, at BU. We have a young team this year. We have three freshmen and one transfer. So I was a little bit concerned about combining golf practices, the travel, and the academics. So what we did, we played four tournaments in September. Generally, we, we played five tournaments. This year, we played four, four in the fall and played six in the spring. But I wanted to play four tournaments kind of bunched up in the month of September, knowing that last week and this week starts midterm. Same with them. There's so many young players on the team. As I say, three freshmen and one transfer academics at BU is certainly challenging and it's just too much for us to go to school, study, study for midterms, travel, play the tournaments. So that's why we, we, we came up with the schedule that we did, we did this fall. Interesting schedule how we did that. Didn't allow much time for coaching and didn't allow a whole lot of practice time, which were a little bit of the negatives of the schedule. But I think all in all, it was good move. Um, players uh, worked hard on academics and their golf in the fall, and now they're ready to go for the midterm. So I think it's, I think it worked out well. Bruce, that's a thing. Is it not that people overlook that they, they're, they have student athletes and especially at BU and in many of the teams you play, they are first and foremost students, then athletes. We are student athletes. We are not athletic students. We are, we are student athletes and I mean, BU was ranked number 36 in the, in the country. That's uh, really, really good academics. 
most of the players are they're in uh, engineering or or Western Business School. Those are very high, and also School of Communication. Those are really high time-consuming majors to take at BU. Team GPA. I'll, I'll answer that by this way, Jim. We have 23 teams at BU. For the last, I don't know how many years, a long time. We, the, the girl women's golf team is generally is ranked first or second out of 23 teams. Our team GPA fluctuates between 3.65 and 3.78 every semester. I've been coaching at BU 16 years. I've only had three players at BU in 16 years that have not been on the honor roll every semester, every year, and two of those players I didn't recruit. And academics is really uh, important. I think that helps your golf game, actually. If you make the commitment to plan your time, time management, and your academics, and then do your homework on a class and, and put in the time, I think that translate, translates in how you prepare for golf. I think they, they, both go, they both go side by side. We've got a couple of girls on the team now that actually would like to go to the tour school after they're done at graduate. I think that's a wonderful goal to have. It kind of aligns with the college golf, and it gives you a little bit something else to work forward to after after graduation. And going back to what you originally said, Jim, yes, we are there for academics for sure. You have a also kind of an interesting challenge as far as the makeup of your roster is is pretty international. So that's another balance that you are kind of, I'm sure, working around. And, you know, you've got freshmen who aren't just freshmen who might be coming from somewhere in Massachusetts or New England or United States, but they might be coming from across the world to play golf at BU. What kind of challenges that produced? Has it gotten easier for you as a coach to help your players through that? Is it easier for those players kind of over the years just with, I don't know, the simplicity of, of connecting family back home and, and that, and that kind of thing as well over the last 10, 15 years? It's been a great plus for our program. I think, I think two assets in our program is uh, number one, our diversity for sure. We're a diverse team and we've been that way the last, oh, I don't know, six or seven years probably. BU itself, BU is 24% international. Ian, 14% Asian. So the school itself is drawing a lot of students from all around the world. It's, it's well known, particularly in the business community. B was well known and that kind of helps the attraction of we, the players that, that we have. We've got players from, we've got two players from Hawaii, two sisters from Hawaii, and most everyone else this year is from different Asian countries. China leading the way, of course. In recent years, we've had three players from Czech Republic. Actually, I've got a recruit on campus next week from the Czech Republic. So we've had a bit, little bit of European flavor, but clearly we've been internationally dominated in the last few years. I think that's just the way it works out when students are looking for, recruits are looking for a school, a place to go, and they see that, oh, this school, BU, is is international friendly. They got a lot of international players. So I think that it helps add to the uh, potential pool of uh, talent that we have. I've been to China three times. I'm actually going to go there fairly soon myself, so that helps in your recruiting process get to see get to see players there. The international players, whether they're from Europe, China, or anywhere else, the only place they can play college golf, and, and if they want to, if they're looking for scholarship, uh, is the United States. And so they're keen on coming to the U.S. They want to learn about the U.S. They want to know about the process, and, and they work hard at home to get themselves in position, in position to uh, play Girls that we have in the golf team, women they have golf team, we've got, I mean, the SATs are high, really high, really high. Have a couple of players at perfect 800 math scores. Typically, the math SATs is around 740 to 760 on our team. 
And they worked hard on the golf games. They're shooting 72 to 76, 77. Our average this fall was 300. And that, that translates to 75. I've got another player coming in, a real a real good player, maybe the top player in New Zealand. And that's coming in in January. And I think that hopefully will help our, help lower that uh, 300 average that, that we have. It takes my assistant and my son, my assistant, Claire Edmonds, does a fantastic job, plus a grad student at BU and uh, she's been with us two years. But we were just talking this morning on the phone. We think we've got everyone's name now. We think we can pronounce everyone's name <laughs> after after five weeks. Charlie takes about a month to, to do that. But the, the diversity of the team is fantastic. Different countries, different upbringing, different foods. And it really adds to a lot of fun, fun on the team, and that, especially when we're traveling. Is, isn't that true that you, you want your team... I think we all want golf to reflect what the world looks like, the United States looks like, and your team does. I mean, when you look at the golf that's being played by professional women, by the professional men, if you don't see a, if you don't see the global look to it, that I don't know what you're looking at. Forty-one percent of all college players now are international. Goes along with what you just said, Jim. Internationals, uh, I mean, I've been coaching 16 years at BU in the last 10 years, the last five years, the last three since COVID. Uh, the numbers of international players that are on the rosters now is, is increasing, is increasing every year. It's very competitive, very competitive. Scores in women's golf have shockingly gone down the last two, three, four years. 310 used to be a good round. 300 was a good round. 300 right now, you're in the middle of the pack. Good for, good for golf. Good for golf. Good for players uh, coming from all around the world. And just what you had, had mentioned, Jim, the women of the team, when they're done, when they're done with, their, with, with college, they're going to be in a workforce and, and working with people all around the world. And with technology, it could be working from your, in your home. You could be working remote, traveling, and you can be working with people all around the world. So I think having an opportunity to play collegiate golf, with young women and players from all around the world, they say is a nice advantage for what different futures will hold. I remember asking a professional player. I said, "When when you start getting out there and get players from Thailand and Czechoslovakia and even even Scotland, you speak English, but it sometimes not very easy English to understand." <laughs> he just looked at me. He goes, "Golf, good golf doesn't need to be translated. You just want." You can. You might not speak the same language as they do, but you swing, they swing. You make four, they make four. Golf really doesn't need to translate to be translated, does it? It's a great comment, dominator. That's for sure. It does not. It does not need a translator. It's amazing, though. Tell you what's amazing to me is that many of the international players, the the excellent quality of instruction that they have. Quick story on. I've had over recent recent years. I've had three Czech players. I was actually, my wife and I were on vacation a few years ago. We went to uh, Prague for a, a trip. But uh, the three players that I had, all from Prague, all belonged to the same club, golf club. But the golf, the golf club had no golf course. Yeah. Big building, big building, 10 simulators, 10 track big, and loaded with uh, young players learning how to play. Well, I said to the players, how do you get to be so good? You don't have a golf course here. Well, they said, we're not, we're not, we, we learn good fundamentals. And we're not distracted by the flight of the golf ball. They might use the, the seven or eight winter months, weather being the same in, in Prague, Matthias, and Boston. And they'll be indoors working on technique. 
You know, yes, they play tournaments in the summertime. Yes, they play a heavy tournament schedule throughout throughout the country and throughout Europe. But their golf pretty much on the golf courses for tournaments, practice rounds. It's very seldom for a gym. Let's Sean, let's meet Sadie for a round of golf at 10 o'clock at the music or whatever. It really isn't that. If they're on the golf course, time is an issue. Access to the course, cost is an issue. So there's a specific reason why they're on the golf course in the summertime is to get themselves ready for, for tournament golf. And as I say, they've got a robust tournament schedule in the summertime. But the fall, winter, and spring is, is indoors, much like we have in Boston. So the, for me personally, the sell to come to Boston, we have an indoor facility. Sometimes we might go to run um, an outdoor facility, McGolf or Brookline, if the weather's nice and golf mass, but pretty much in the wintertime. We're indoors, but it's it's an easy sell because the girls are accustomed to training training that way. Weight training in the weight room indoors and training training in our indoor facility. We've got a nice indoor facility just for the team. And so we have TrackMan, we have full full spring simulator, putting green. I mean, it's not as good as outdoors, but that's what we have when we're in when we're in Boston. Interesting, I tell the players, I don't know if I'm scaring them or telling the reality, but at BU we never hit a golf ball off of grass in Boston after the end of October. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a, we've got a robust schedule. We play 10 tournaments a year. We go to find girls for a, a long 12 day spring break every year. We play a lot of golf. We play tournaments, we practice, we a big spring break, but we, we might play a couple of rounds maybe in, in April, but uh, April, the second, third week of April is when our conference championship is. And of course it's just open here. So I tell the players, we don't, we don't hit balls off of grass. We hit them off mans, we hit them off ranges. But if you're looking to play golf in December, January, February, probably isn't the right uh, spot to, to be. Again, that's a testament to the to the players that are at BU. They 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 know what the situation is and they adapt and uh, they're able to be good students and, and play fat, fantastic golf. You've mentioned you've mentioned a few times trips to different places around the world. What what do those trips look like as far as meeting players? Are there showcase tournaments? Are you going over with multiple coaches from other colleges? Is it kind of like an organized thing? What is that? What does that look like? I'm, I'm sure it looks different each time, but just in general. Yeah, it's. An, I mean, there's a lot of coaches are actually. There's a lot of coaches. Most all coaches spend quite a bit of the summer time recruiting in the United States and traveling the United States, the U.S. juniors and and AJGA events, events out in California. So there's a lot of tournaments, obviously, to coach. But there's a lot of coaches that actually are. Starting to coach, uh, starting to travel either to China or to to Europe, Europe for sure, Scotland, Ireland. A lot of events that that they want to see. When I go, typically I've, uh, I get asked to maybe run a camp for a four or five day camp I'll run, and I'll be involved with people overseas that will will run a camp. They'll assemble. They might get ten, fifteen, twenty kids in a camp. We might be there for three or four days. The morning might be watching them practice. I might give them some drills, what we do in college and what to look forward to in terms of doing drills, 18 holes in the afternoon, just watching and making some comments, of course, management things on the golf course. There's always a couple of sessions a day with the parents and players and it's question and answer. And really they're looking for access. How do we do this? How do we do it? It seems like such a complicated process. How do we find, how do we find a school that we can get in academically? How do we find a school we can make the golf team? And how does it all work? And I try to reassure them it's actually a very simple process. It's not a hard process at all. A lot of the work you can do yourself. And I try to review with them how to look for a school and, 
and a lot of work you can they can do online and and also with the golf games to you know to be realistic if you're if you're SATs or in the in the maybe a little bit in the lower range and you're looking at an extremely high academic school it might not might not work you might you got to be a little bit realistic there if you're shooting 78 or 79 there's nothing wrong with that that's a very good score but it might not be in a school that's shooting a 292 285, 288, you might say. So you, you could do a lot of this work yourself, but it's still challenging for people that are not in the country and, and used to used to trying to put together the, the college process. Try to be real is, is a challenge, not where you're going to be. Where are you now? Where are your grades now? What is your golf score now? Not what your mother or t- dad's going to tell you or your coach going to tell you going to be next 12 months. Where are you now? That's probably a big a uh, challenging hurdle for, for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're international or U.S. player, but to always be real, as I say, be real. There's a fault for everybody. Everybody can, everybody can play college golf. You shoot 72, there's a home. You shoot 85, 90, you can play college golf. There's a home for you at a good school, at a good academic school. You just gotta, you just gotta look. There's a lot of opportunities. I think there's over 2,200 programs right now. That's, that's, that's a lot. An awful yeah. lot. We, we spent the last, 18 minutes or so talking about the last 15 years of your life, but there's a, a wealth of other other stories and and things that you've been involved in in the game of, of golf. I, I guess I want to start, maybe this will get the ball rolling. You met Byron Nelson rather, rather randomly a long time ago, and I would love to hear that story kind of through the prism of of where you were in that part of your life and when, what you hoped for and, and, and what kind of, you were a phenomenal and still are a phenomenal golfer with, I've got a whole rap sheet here of your Babson hall of fame, 14 USGA championships. You played in the 1985 bank of Boston PGA tour as a Monday qualifier, Southeast Am winner, Hornblower winner, Massachusetts player of the year, 1980, 1985, New England amateur. You were a very good player. So just thinking about, that story of meeting Byron Nelson stood out to me as kind of a neat one as a, as a legend of the game. Oh boy. I'll back it up a little bit. If I can, I'll look at yeah, Nelson's, sure. story, Nelson's story, which of course, if you purchase a, a book uh, by a well, by, by a well-known author, you, you'll, you'll see that story that I was 20 years old. I was 20 years old. And I was a senior at Babson and I was uh, looking for employment. It was January of my senior year. And I, I kind of stumbled upon a company, Permatex. They make, they're in the racing, predominantly in the racing car industry, making adhesives. And for some reason, the contact that I made, the sales manager of Primatech was an avid golfer, and he invited me to come down for an interview to West Palm Beach, which I did. And I spent two days uh, touring the factory and was quite excited about it. I had a, another day left on my trip, and I was staying at the Holiday Inn on the PGA Resort, and I had one diamond, three pennies in my pocket. I remember that. I did have a, I did have a, a ticket on the way home late that afternoon. So I took my clubs and went out and I thumbed, which you don't do thumbing anymore, but I thumbed. This is 1972. I mean, I'm, I'm in front of the Holiday Inn, PGA Boulevard. I get about three and a half miles to go down to, to, to the PGA Golf Course. And I was thumbing and I get picked up. I kind of stops. I open the back door, throw my clubs in. I, I get in the front seat and I go, well, Mr. Nelson, nice to meet you. How are you, sir? And I, and he was, uh, of course, you're very engaging. The stories you heard about, about his slow, Text and drawl and courtesy and all this. I found that to be obviously true quickly, but he gave me a ride to PGA and as we pulling into the driveway, I said, Mr. Nelson, would you mind watching me get a few balls? And I'm like, I, and I reflected on that over the years, took me a little bit of courage, but he did. He said, yes, of course he, 
actually spent, we went to the range and he spent about 45 minutes, went through almost two buckets of balls. And, and I always remember with him the grip, which I've always thought would be the most important part of the spring. I was delighted that he spent time with me, having a grip, strengthening the grip a little bit and giving me, giving me encouragement. Um, so that was uh, certainly a great, a great memory. Years later, he could be found most every summer at Ponkapog. Yeah. Sitting in a golf cart. First, he just, people would walk by him, not really know who he was, but he was a, there was a step grandson at the time. He would go to watch him play golf. And, but for many years, he, he spent maybe about a week at Ponkapog, kind of an interesting, I didn't know interesting, that. He did. Interesting, interesting story. Yeah. 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 I've, I've loved, I've, I've loved golf all my life. I, I'm at BU now coaching. Yeah. Right in front of the, right in front of where I work is a, is, is Gardner Street. I grew up on Gardner Street, a three-decker on Gardner Street. There's no golf on Gardner Street. But when I was, when I was nine years old, my, my parents moved to Millis and I, I entered the fourth grade in Millis. And shortly after we moved there, they opened uh, Glen Ellen, Glen Ellen Golf Club. And I uh, was, it was a Muni for almost 50 years. I guess two years ago, they, they closed it and built homes. But I spent, I spent my life at my whole teenage years at, at Glen Ellen. I, I was there when I was 11 years old. By the time I was 12, I was caddy, working in the pro shop, cleaning, cleaning clubs. Charlie Shepard was the golf pro there then. He was a little bit of his downside of his career, I might say, but a longtime braid run. Pro, a very good regional player and played well in Nearsley. He actually was invited to the 38 and 58 Masters. And anyway, I befriended him. And, and I was at the golf course, 6 o'clock every day. Every summer in my teenage years, and I stayed till dark. I'd work for shop in the shop, and we'd start at six six fifteen every day, go to five o'clock, and then we'd walk, play a few holes a night. And that's how I learned how to play golf. But you know, six bucks during the, I'd make six bucks in the weekdays and eight bucks in the weekends. But more important, I get to play with shop at night. Taught me how to play, and that was uh, really really uh, priceless. I just I loved golf, the mowers, the craft, flying in the flying in the air, captivated by it. And I played other sports in high school, but I always certainly definitely golf was number one. I played high school. Well, I shouldn't say I played. I tried to play high school basketball for four years. I went out for the team. I was the last cut every year. Four years, grade nine, 10, 11, 12. I was the last cut. And the last, I thought I was a pretty good point guard. <laughs> I got cut every year the last four years. And I, I realized then I want to do something where I'm not getting cut. I want to do something that if I want to get better, I just go do it myself. I love team sports. I played a little bit of, a little bit of hockey. You know, played a lot of basketball and some baseball. But in those sports, you need other players. You can't play the game by yourself. And you kind of, I said, gee, I'm kind of held back. If other people aren't trying, if they're not working out hard, I mean, I get, I get held back. You don't have to do that in golf. If you want to get better, go get the shag bag and go at balls. Go pick them up and do it again. And that was, that's my mentality. And that's what I did. And I like that, that I could, I don't have to wait for anyone. I don't have to depend on anyone else, and no one's going to cut me. If I get cut from a tournament, if I play in a tournament, I get cut. Okay, go get the shag bag and go improve and get and get better. And I I I did that in my life, and I I got better. Yeah, golf is a black. I I tell parents all the time: let your let your kids go out and play golf. Size is not a requirement. The reality is, size is a requirement in football, basketball. I'm sorry if you're you're a hundred and six pound kid. And football coaches want you. A lot of 106-year-old ninth graders can hit the crap out of a golf ball. And guess what? It's all on them. And it's a black and white game. You shoot 
75. You're better than you're that day. You're better than the kid who shot 78. No coach is going to say, yeah, but he's my neighbor's son. He, I'll take him. Right. Yeah. I'm taking yeah. 74. And that, and that's, you hit on it. I mean, team sports are wonderful. I don't ever discourage him, but I always encourage people to get the kids into golf because it's something you can constantly improve on. There are different facets of the game. You can practice putting for an hour and a half and you will, you'll drive someone crazy when you can't hit it as far as them or hit it as close to them, but you can beat them because you one putt from 15 feet all day long. And you can do that yourself and you can improve, improve on that yourself. It's a, it's a great, it's a great, actually a great game in that regard. When I got out of Babson, I mean, I knew I was destined to. What I wanted to do was to play high-end amateur golf all my life and be in a business where I was uh, sales business self-employed and that would uh, offer me the opportunity to combine working in business and, and develop my golf skills. I mean, deep down in the back of my mind, did I ever want to play pro golf? Yeah, of course. Of course. I am 72 years old. Since the age of 11, there hasn't been a day. My wife says I shouldn't have told the story, but it's okay. It's a real life story. Since the age of 11 and I'm 72, there hasn't been a day that I haven't woke up and at least for a few seconds in the morning say, I wish I played the tour. I did it this morning. I did it this morning. It's never left me. Probably that's what's propelled, that was propelled me when I was certainly playing a lot of competitive amateur golf. I mean, I played 14 USGA events. I tried to qualify 38 times on Monday qualifiers. And I qualified once and often a half dozen times. I tried the U.S. Open 32 times. I made that once, but wanting to be on tour, I made it in the Open and played at Bank of Boston. I, I felt like I accomplished that goal. Playing at Pleasant Valley as a youngster you know, and watching the tournament and, and then playing in the tournament when I qualified, coming down 15, 16, 17, 18. Oh, man, that was a lifelong dream that I wanted to do, be able to uh, play Pleasant Valley those last four holes with the crowd roaring, I loved it. And um, all maybe high goals that I had, but goals that I've always, always, always had since my Glen Allen days. 1980 Baltusrol. roll. Can we, Jim? Do you have any? Is that um, a Bruce was a contender? <laughs> love to just just the studied, just the studied, science of being in a in a U.S. Open. Jack Nicklaus studied, won that U.S. Open. I studied for that. I studied for that. I studied. I studied since I was at Bamson for that tournament. Always high in my priority list, and I started trying to qualify when I was 21. But I just, I studied it. In those days, it was a 36-hole qualifier locally, then a 36-hole regionally. Now it's 18-hole locally. But I, I said to myself, if I get my game, I can shoot. The numbers were so much different than now. If I can shoot 150 locally, I can get by the local. And I, I actually got by the local three times in my life. And if I can shoot 148, 149, I can get, I can, I can actually do this thing. I started formulating that play when I was 21. I qualified when I was 29. But uh, I qualified at Halifax. I shot 72, 74, 146. That, that paid it by quite a bit. And I went down to uh, Canoebrook in Summit, New Jersey. I went down two weeks before the, before the qualifier. I, I spent two days there and took two days off of work. And, <laughs> but so I played, played two rounds each, each day for two days. And I came back and I, I can do this. I, I, I can do this. I just kept telling myself I can do this. And on the first day of the qualifier at Canoebrook, we had a lot of thunder and lightning and we only got 32 holes in. I had made, I had made one par and one, one birdie and the rest par, one birdie and one bogey that day. And after 32 holes, it was dark. So we had to come back the next day. 
And I was in good shape to make the tournament. I want to tell you, try to go to bed at night. Four holes left. With four holes left, a U.S. Open spot. That's amazing. As a dinner. What, what, what were those spots like? I went to, I went to bed that night. I stayed at the Summit Inn. Next door to me was, he had just come into town earlier, was Seth Ballesteros. He'd been there for a week and it was uh, nice to see him. Nice to see him staying in the same hotel. But the <laughs> next day, the next day I got up and had to, had to play four holes and ended up making, ended up three putting 15 for a birdie, 16. And sound to feel a little bit, a little bit concerned here. 17 to pound three, eight, my third shot into a dried out brook. But I hit a real good shot out of there and got up and down and made par in that hole. And I'm um, trying to bring the story home, but I got to 18. I know if I make five, I'm, I'm going to be okay on 18 to get in. And then good drive down the fairway. Second shot was a neat. I knocked it over the green on the fly, just barely in bounds. I had a tough lie. I had a downhill lie off of beer grounds. I had about 25 yards to the, to the pin, quite a bit over the green. But I hit the best shot in my, in my life. I knocked it 25 feet from the hole. It was the best shot I ever hit. 25 feet, you may say, well, it's not a good shot, but. Under those conditions, there was. I two putted and, and made the made the tournament from there. But all during that tournament, I just kept telling myself, "I can do this. I know I can do this. I know I can do this." And I think it was just a goal for a long time, a little bit of a Walter Mitty goal. I might might say over the years, if you're familiar with my good pal Walter Mitty, but you have to have dreams. You have to have goals. You got to put the time in. And all has ups and downs, but I never let that dream of wanting to play in the open get away from me. So here I am, I'm playing at Baltusrol. I'm in the U.S. Open. I got three practice rounds in, and I'm playing with Larry Nelson and Jay Haas and play with some great, great players in the, in the, in the practice rounds. And on the back nine, I'm with, actually the Wednesday before the tournament, with Jay Haas, I'm with Larry Nelson. And I see this crowd, this kind of a lot of noise going on in the background. What's well, on a pound? kind of cutting through. Do you guys mind if I play with you? Jeez, <laughs> of course not. You're going to play the last couple of holes with Donald Palmer coming in. Coming into 18, so the day before the U.S. Open that I play in, play with my all-time hero, Arnold Palmer, Bobby Euro and Arnold Palmer, two sports hero, heroes all time. If I got time, I'm going to give you a quick story with Palmer. When I was 11 years old, he played, he played against Gary Player in an exhibition in South Shore Country Club. Wow. I am not more than four feet away from Palmer all day. I am in shadow all day. And he had his tee shot in 18. He comes down off the hill, 18 in South Shore, a little bit of a raised tee. And I'm 11 years old, and I said, okay, Bruce, make your move. I went up to him, and I grabbed his yellow sleeve shirt. And I said, Mr. Pounder, my name is Bruce Chalice. You and I are going to play golf Sunday. I said that when I, was, when I was 11 years old. So when we played, we came down 18 at Balthasrol. He had a yellow shirt on, the umbrella, and I went over and I tugged his shirt. And I says, I'm going to tell you a story. I gave him the quick story. He said, I actually remember playing Gary in that uh, exhibition years ago. But I said, that's just that. It's a, Funny story I need to tell you. And for the rest of the week, he was as, as gracious as you could be in the locker room. Every time you see me, actually remembering my name and asking me how the week was going and how I'm doing, it give me a little bit of encouragement. Uh, so to have your all-time hero tell you that. That's amazing. What a great story. He's got a million. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry about the stories. Sorry no, about they're the great. Oh, have to have is. you back on again and just give us some more. This has been awesome. We say all the time, Bruce, that golf is great. It starts with the people. Yeah. You, you, you play golf, too. We've been around golf all our lives. And yeah. All of, all of the fantastic people and friendships that we have. I, we look at our close friends, our best friends, in most cases, the people that we play golf with, talk golf with, just, just have something around golf like 
just what Harvey Pennock always says: if you play golf, you're my friend. That's you're right. It's a it's a quick way to meet, quick way to make friendship. Absolutely. Well, Bruce, thanks for thanks for joining us today. That was that was great. Good luck in the spring. The BU girls or women are done for for the fall, and we'll be following along. And love to have you back on. You talk about Pinehurst and a bunch of other stuff too. So maybe we'll bug you uh, in the spring or summer and, and get you back out here. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, and thank you for the well wishes with BU. We're doing our best to win Patriot League and get to the NCAA's again. But but uh, that's our challenge. I appreciate. But Sean, thank you for the time. And Jim, always thank you. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. Take care, Bruce. Thanks. Okay, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Bruce Chouse for joining. He got emotional there talking about some of those stories, which well, is really just you know, we, we, touching. We all know people who love the game, and it, that's what the game does here. You, you, he's poured his heart and soul into it as a player, as a business person, as a coach. Yeah. And... It means a lot to him. Yeah, I mean, just as you can tell. Hearing him talk about 1980 U.S. Open, yeah. and he's he needs he needs a moment to collect himself as he's doing it. Is something that happened 43 years ago. It is just shows how great yeah. the game is. So that was a that was a great interview. Let's get to golf course confidential today. Uh, we always wrap up with one of these. Uh, last week we went to the ranch, yes, leaf peeping a little bit, and we're going to do the same thing this week. We're going to go to New Hampshire, and we're going to. Uh, talk about Montcalm, which is in Enfield, ah, New Hampshire. Okay. This this golf course came up when we did our 36-hole-day trips. I kind of mentioned this as as, some, as a place people could go, but I wanted to give it its its own kind of kind of attention. I would also encourage people to go back and listen to that. That was a fun fun one to just rip through a bunch of golf courses in New England if you're looking 36, for places to play. But Montcalm is in Enfield, New Hampshire. If you've ever driven up kind of through on 89 and you've driven past Whaleback Mountain, which is yeah. on your left as you're going north and on your right as you're coming back south. Montcalm is a, basically across 89 from from that from Whaleback Mountain. So we're talking some pretty extreme land and some and some wild golf that you get to play. This is Dartmouth's home course now because they had to close there. Hanover Country Club was closed during COVID, which is which is a shame because that place was was really good too. I liked that. I liked playing that course. Montcalm stretches to sixty six hundred yards. It's a hundred bucks to play on a weekday, a hundred twenty to play on a weekend. It's sixty five bucks twilight, which is after four. If you want to go and and play a little bit later in the day, it's always in really good shape. It used to be a private golf course. It's got some Boston golf energy. Okay. Um, it's two buildings. The pro shop and the grill room are kind of in the same place. Uh, it's got that kind of quiet. But you get to Boston Golf, which I know a lot of maybe a lot of people haven't played Boston Golf, but it's a quiet place, yes, right? You is. kind of park, you walk in. It just feels like you're maybe in a different in a different world. Montcalm has that same energy to it. It's just it's just a, it's a nice place to be. Great views. Uh, driving range might be one of the most extreme driving ranges I've ever been on. You are, you're basically hitting off of a ski, kind of a ski slope. Queechee, you're hitting up. I don't know if anyone's been to Queechee driving range, but you're hitting into the, into a ski slope. This is, you're at the top of the ski slope you're and you're hitting it down. Um, kind of an interesting way to start a round of golf because you feel like you could hit it a million miles. Yeah, I'm um, driving it. I'm driving it so, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I have my nine iron 200 yards and we're ready to go. Yeah, so it just has that really nice feel. The golf course, if you are not playing with a member, they have they have kind of a small membership. It's semi-private. They do make you drive a golf cart a golf cart because 
that it's just kind of like a pretty extreme land to get around and walk. Um, and even just finding some tea boxes is tricky between green and tea walks. There's some, there's some long walks because the land just, you ha- you know, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta walk to get to a spot where you can put a tea because the greens and the teas sometimes have to be far apart. Um, but it's, it's just, a, there's a ton of blind shots, no flat lies, really, really, you get a bunch of holes that kind of play through some tight tree line property and then you can get it, get out to some open, open land. You're hitting way downhill one hole, you're hitting way up a hill the next. I think sometimes you get to these golf courses and you feel like you play down a hill and then you drive up to a tee box and you play down a hill. This is not that case. You're kind of, you're playing up and you're playing down to some different spots. So it's, it's a, it's a really good spot. You've never played it. I have not. No, you've never played it. I would, I would recommend it's like, we talked about the ranch last week being 90 minutes. It's probably about that 90 minute drive from Boston up to Enfield as well. But it's again, it's like if you want to go try to play a different place and yeah. see some different um, golf and play something that's a little bit outside of the norm of North Shore, South Shore, Boston area, mm-hmm. or even just kind of Metro West, uh, Montcalm is going to do it for you. Sounds like it. Will. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah, I I have played courses built on mountains and around to your point about when you got to go up a hill you come down <laughs> you sometimes come. but you keep sometimes you do keep going up and yep. up and up yep. uh, and i've played them I mean, I've, I've always found it be i always want to talk to the superintendents and the yeah the, the folks who keep the keep them in because i it, it, you said this place was in great shape yep. i bet it i trust you i have played in golf courses on built on the mountains that are in extremely good shape yeah and I always say, oh, my God, who's cutting this grass? How, how cool. <laughs> and how? How are you on these how slopes? Cool, how challenging must that be? Yeah, yeah. So good for them. Yeah. So, yeah, so Montcalm, Enfield, New Hampshire, you can play for 100 bucks on the weekdays, 120 on the weekends. It's a little bit steeper, but it is a worthwhile trip. If you're in New Hampshire, it's definitely a place you should check out, even even Vermont. So go play Montcalm and, and enjoy enjoy a good round. Tack it onto a trip as you're going up north or as you're coming down from the north. Um, thanks, as always, for listening to this podcast. Oh, I did it again, this podcast. Don't worry about it. Take your time. Yep. Thanks for listening to the On Course podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on YouTube, so if you're listening to this on audio, you can you can watch us interview our guests and, and chat with each other. So we encourage you to check out our YouTube channel and please subscribe to that. Thanks, as always, to Dave Yaz for producing the podcast. The Encores Podcast is a Siemens Media Production.